0: All right, guys, good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. If you guys are new with us, my name is Kenson Lamb. I have the honor of serving as a pastor here at our Bridgeport location. Really good to be with you all. And also if you're new, a lot of times every other week you'll see me or our South Loop pastor running in and out. And the reason we do that is that we share teaching at our congregation. We, we teach at our congregations, you know, we rotate around uh, every other weekend just to serve each other's locations. Now. Uh, before we jump into the sermon today, I actually want to share some sad news uh, from our neighborhood. Uh, a beloved teacher from Armour Elementary School recently passed away. Marcy Gonzalez was the 7th and 8th grade math teacher who also served as assistant principal for a couple of years. Uh, her passing was fairly sudden, and it's been devastating for the school. So this past week, you know, you know, we talked with the school, and we just let them know if there's any way that we can serve you, we are here for you. Uh, So they reached out and they asked if we could host Marcy's memorial service here at the art center. And we said absolutely without a problem. Now the reason I'm telling you this is because next Sunday we will still be worshiping at our 10 a.m. as usual, but we will be ending a little bit earlier than usual so that they can have their memorial service here at noon. Now, two things for you. First, if you can stay for the memorial service, it would be a great way just to be present with them in their pain, as scripture calls us, to mourn with those who mourn. And secondly, we're also looking for volunteers to help in any way. We need ushers, people to provide and serve food, you know, helping to tear down our space and put away the worship equipment and chairs and so forth. So if any of you can just help out and hang around, hang around for another two hours, you know, we could really use your help. So if you can volunteer, just go to our connect bar and let our team know back there. And also, let's keep praying for Armour Elementary School during this time. You know, today we continue back in Romans and I'm excited and intimidated to jump into these verses with you because uh, as a pastor once said, that that the greatest book ever written in history is the Bible. And the greatest letter from that book is Romans. And the greatest chapter from that letter is Romans 8. And the greatest verse in that chapter is verse 1. So no pressure for me whatsoever today. So if we can't, let's read our verses and jump in, all right. So Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 here. It goes like this from the Apostle Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do... By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the 1890s, a book came out called The Picture of Dorian Gray. By Oscar Wilde you know it's a story of a very good-looking young man Dorian Gray and everyone was amazed by his beauty and Dorian himself was so consumed with his beauty that he never wanted it to decay but instead he desired that a picture that was drawn of him would decay instead of him and his wish came true but then this picture of beauty all of a sudden starts taking on this really disgusting form For many years, Dorian lived with no remorse or regret or guilt, indulging in every sin. And after living years in this way, this picture becomes so hideous that it is unrecognizable. And Dorian Gray finally gets it, that this picture was a reflection of his soul. So he tries to remedy this by doing good deeds, but the picture only gets worse and worse because he's doing it for all the wrong motivations. Eventually, Dorian gets so desperate that he stabs the portrait unknowingly, killing himself at the same time. Now, I share this with you because this is what Paul has been talking about in our Roman series. That all of us in here today, we look alive, we look well, you know, well, you know, we're breathing, but inside... We're spiritually decaying because we've exchanged the glory of God for created things. We've lived in rebellion against God. And because of that, we walk in death. Not just literal, physical death, which comes for all of us, but spiritual death, separation from God. And just like Dorian Gray, we're shocked by what this picture Reveals This has been the whole opening chapters of Romans. And Rafe showed us last week Paul's own personal struggle with his sinful depravity. That in chapter 7 was basically Paul crying out for help. Chapter 7 verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You read these verses and you feel Paul's anguish that he is longing, to follow God. He is longing to experience victory over sin, but he keeps being enticed back into temptation. Paul is showing us just how real the struggle is to follow God with pure devotion and holiness and how the consequences of sin are very real. The guilt is overwhelming. The shame is crippling. The regret is paralyzing. The way Paul ends chapter 7 forces all of us to ask, Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope? The good news of our verses today is yes, there is hope. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse doesn't mean that God ignores sins or that He's denying our sins. God has seen every nasty and filthy thing that we've ever done, He knows the depth of our selfishness and sin, and He has seen the ugly picture of our soul. But the good news is is that while we were utterly helpless and powerless, God saves. God justifies. The condemnation for your sin has been removed. And in Christ, you are assured of your salvation. Now, this is so important for us because sin and Satan would seek to do the complete opposite. Making us ask questions like, you know, can God really forgive those awful things I've done? Or am I really a believer because a believer wouldn't act like that? Or if you're suffering, you know, God must hate me because I wouldn't be experiencing this if he didn't hate me or, or my life shouldn't be this hard. Can I just say, if anyone had reason to condemn themselves, it would be Paul. Because before he was an apostle of Christ, he was a persecutor and killer of innocent Christians. He was killing his own brothers and sisters in Christ now, in Christ before, right? He was killing them. For all these horrible things Paul has done, he now can still claim the good news of Romans 8:1. Why? It's because he knows that there is no sin in his life, no guilt in his life, no shame in his life, that Jesus isn't greater. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do here today is that we're just going to preach assurance, okay, the good news of assurance. And here are the two points that are going to work us through this, okay, two points, two movements. First is this, there is no condemnation because Jesus has fulfilled the law. And secondly, there is no condemnation because we're now empowered by the Holy Spirit, okay? So first here, first point. There is no condemnation because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Verse one, two, well, verses one to four, three again, four again. There is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So, what we have here is in verse 1 is the proclamation of the victory, and in verses 2 and 4 is how the victory is accomplished. First, notice that Paul doesn't say that condemnation is not a real thing, or he's not saying that there's no cause for it. If you've been reading up in the book of Romans here, there's a very good reason for our condemnation, and it's called sin. When Paul uses the word law here in verse 4, it points us back to God's perfect standard as expressed through the Mosaic law, specifically the Ten Commandments. And what the law proved was that we could never, ever obey it. Verse 7 For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This verse tells us that the reason we didn't obey God's law was not because of oversight or because of ignorance, it was because of a hatred for God. The great reformer, Martin Luther, once made this incredible insight. He said that you can't break the other nine commandments without first breaking the first commandment. I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. You can't covet and steal and murder and lie without first rejecting God because every time we sin, we're choosing to make something else or someone else our God. Every sin we commit is a hateful act against God and we are condemned for it and all the law could do was show us the ugly picture of our soul. But here's the good news, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ greater from the law of sin and death. That in Christ a greater law, a law of the spirit has trumped the law of sin and death. That the law of sin and death is the law that declares our sinful condition before God and how all humanity is doomed from our very first breath. But in Christ, a greater law has arrived, the law of the spirit of life. And what the law, what the old law could not do to save us, God has now done by giving us the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that later. Now, God has not negated the law of sin and death. That is still very much a reality for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. But those who are now in Christ... A greater law can now be applied in your life. It's kind of like this. Many of us know the law of gravity. That if you want to jump off that building and fly, the law of gravity is going to say, nice try. It's not going to happen. You're going to go splat. That's what's going to happen to you. Or we see an airplane on a tarmac and the law of gravity tells you that that plane that is over 200,000 pounds should stay on the ground Yet, the plane can fly. Why? It's because there are other laws that supersede the law of gravity, the law of thrust, the law of aerodynamics, the law of lift. So now something that seems so big and impossible is now in the air. In the same way, our condemnation seemed so impossible to overcome, but now through the spirit, we are free from that condemnation. And how is it all possible? It's because Christ was condemned for us. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful f- flesh for, our, for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That when God gave us his law, we failed to obey it. So what does God do? Does he say, oh, well, you know, that's your problem? No. He sends his own son to obey it perfectly. That his son takes on our flesh and our limitations. And God condemns him who is innocent and perfect. Why? is so that we would become the righteousness of God. That is the doctrine of justification. Everything that God was absolutely opposed to, all the sin and evil in our hearts, Jesus stood in front of us and took the shot for us so that we could be free. Did you know that 2,000 years ago was your V-Day? It was your victory day. It was the day that sin, death, and sin was conquered once and for all. And what that means is that war with sin that once felt unwinnable is now a war that is unlosable. That for those who are in Christ Jesus, you can never, ever, 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 ever be condemned again in Christ. That is an impossibility because you are no longer Your own. You've been bought with the precious blood of Christ, and the one who purchased you no longer condemns you. You can't even condemn yourself because you don't belong to you. You belong to Christ. Now, what does this great truth mean for us? First is this your past does not define you. Now, for some of you, your guilt is crippling. You've hurt someone, you did something that was so bad in in, in this season of relationship, in in this job, and in this finance, and, and it was bad. And what's happening is that your past is beginning to define you. And as much as you want to go back in time and fix it, You can't do it. You can't take the hurt that you've caused to go away. You can't take back the time that that you've taken. You you can't go back and take back those words and actions and all you feel is condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. Look again at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word now means that God has stepped into this moment of redemptive history and has provided another way. That in Christ, there is a now, a new day, a a, a new covenant, a new hope. You do not need to be defined by your past. You do not need to deny your past. But in Christ, you can face it. It doesn't have to crush you because Christ was crushed on your behalf. In Christ, you are secure and accepted. That no matter what someone else might say to you, no matter what Satan might say to you, no matter even what you might say to yourself, all that matters is what God says about you. And in Christ, you are loved and you belong to him. That just like Paul here, chapter 7 was his cry of anguish, but in chapter 8 is now his victory song in Christ. That too is now your story. Secondly, the implication is this, your future does not need to scare you. You know, when Paul says that, sorry, Siri just opened up here. Okay, when Paul says there is no more condemnation, I think I think said seriously and scary and it opened up. It says there is no more condemnation. Notice that he doesn't say sometimes there's some condemnation. For example, all right, you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. From that moment, sins past, taken care of. But any future sins coming, oh, you better watch out, right? You sin, you're condemned, you better ask for forgiveness. Condemnation is removed. But you sin again, you do it again, ask for forgiveness. Condemnation removed. And what ends up happening is that you go in this vicious cycle of fear and doubt. Am I saved or not? Am I saved or not? Oh, I just sinned. I'm not saved here. This is what I like to call a daisy theology. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. This is not the gospel. God's love for you is not fickle. When he loves you, he loves you. Period. And what that means is that sin, it can complicate your life, it can convict you, but it can no longer condemn you. Because this declaration of no condemnation is not just for past sins, but future sins. Consider this, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, how many sins at that moment did you commit? None. You didn't exist yet. All sins he paid for was paid in advance. There is nothing in your past, present, and future that could make God love you any more or any less. His love for you on the cross was perfect. That is how secure you are in Christ. You know, F.B. Meyer, an English author, once recounted this true story. He said that many years ago, two men wanted to climb the Matterhorn, a mountain in Switzerland. Let me just show you a picture of this mountain here. And to do this, these two men hired three guides. So all five of them go up the side of the Matterhorn, and they begin to go to the steepest and most slippery part of the mountain. So they tether themselves with rope, you know, and so forth. And as they go up the side of this mountain, the last man on the bottom slips and falls. But it's okay The other four are secured and everyone is holding firm. But then the fourth man slips and falls and he takes two and three with them as well too. And all four men have fallen down. But instead of all of them falling to their deaths, they're all hanging in the air because their rope was still tied to the head guide who stood Firm That he had driven his spike deep into the ice. And because of him, the other four men were able to regain their footing. F.B. Meyer wrote about this story as a way of saying something about his own life. And this is what he said. I'm like one of those men who slipped. But thank God I am bound in a living partnership to Christ. And because he stands I will never perish. Because he stands, I will never perish. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you, here's the second point in our verses Not only are you not condemned, but you are now empowered to live differently. Through the Holy Spirit. This is in verses 5 and 11. And when you look at 5 and 11, clearly the Holy Spirit is a central theme in these verses and actually throughout all of Romans 8. And the reason for that is one of the assurances Paul had in knowing that he was not condemned was because of the Spirit's work. In his life, and from our verses, we see this in two ways. First, Paul talks about how our minds are 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 on the things of of the spirit; they're set on the things of the spirit. That's verses five and eight. And secondly, it's because the spirit dwells in us in verses nine to eleven. Or if I can put it this way, the spirit leads us to confess Christ and to conform into Christ. Let me show you how this works. So first, Paul knows that he's not condemned because the spirit leads him to confess Christ. And we know that because of the language of how our minds are set on the things of the spirit. Verse 6 and 7. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So right here we have a compare and contrast. You have the mind that is set On the flesh. And this is a mindset that hates God. It's hostile, rebellious towards Him, and it leads to death and condemnation. That this is a person who is consumed with themselves here. You know, in chapter seven, notice this. Paul is most defeated when he is focused on himself. Look at chapter seven, verses 13 and 20. There is nothing but personal pronouns here me 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 my 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 i i i as paul considers his struggle with sin he is just consumed with himself and it leads him into more condemnation in his heart but now in chapter 8 there is hardly any personal pronouns all he can talk about is the holy spirit what's going on here This is the contrast between the mind of the flesh and the mind that is set on the things of the spirit. The mind that is set on the flesh is a mind that is consumed with me. And this is what sin ultimately is. It's the big problem of me. It's always about me. My work, my hurt, my disappointment, my frustration, my pride. It wasn't until Paul stopped looking at himself could he finally see past the horizon and see the hope that he had in Christ Jesus. To have our minds set on the things of the Spirit is to move from self-focus to being God-focused. Notice, it doesn't say to set our minds on the Spirit himself, but to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. So what does the Spirit think about? What does the Spirit desire and devote itself to? This is what Jesus says in John sixteen fourteen. The Holy Spirit... Will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's mindset is to glorify Jesus Christ, it's to confess Jesus Christ, it's for you to love Jesus like how he loves Jesus. You know, on Wednesday, we begin Lent, and Lent is this historical practice of the church or 40 days before Easter is defined by a season of purposeful self-denial and fasting that whatever hunger that you receive from whatever you're abstaining from usually food it's to remind you of your greatest hunger your need for your savior Jesus Christ. That Lent is a time to set our minds on Christ. It's a season where we kill the I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. And focus our eyes on Jesus. And this is again why we're doing the 40-day New Testament challenge over Lent. That as we fast, we're also feasting because we're deeply communing with God through his word. You know, the 20th century Archbishop of Canterbury... William Temple once said this Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Wherever your mind goes most naturally and freely is what you're really living for. That is your religion. And whatever preoccupies your mind will shape your lifestyle and character. Let me ask you what consumes your thoughts? Is it Christ and His promises? Is it his glory which leads to freedom? Or is your focus, I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 which will lead to greater condemnation? Here's a second way the Holy Spirit gives assurance. It's because he conforms us to Christ. In verses 9 to 11, the word dwell comes up numerous times. And this is a word that's to tell us that the Holy Spirit is setting up his home permanently in your life, that the Holy Spirit isn't just some guest, but he's also God. That throughout our verses, a lot of phrases are used interchangeably to describe the Holy Spirit. Paul says the spirit, spirit of God, spirit of Christ, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. This is all Trinitarian language to remind us that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not some mystical force. He's not some like cloud or whatever. He's the very person Of God, It's the very Spirit's presence in your life that is meant to assure you that not only are you not condemned, but you are so loved that God wants to live with you forever. Forever now in this life and in the life to come. Forever. Eternity. Some of us don't even have spouses who want to live with us forever, right? That's just not the case here. But that's how much God loves us. And if the Spirit is truly residing in you, you will know it. Because your life will change, it will change. You know, for the first five years of my life, it was just me and my mom and dad and it was awesome. But then one day, the family from my mom's side, they got their visas cleared and they came to the states and all seven of them moved into our tiny house. Let me show you a picture of this here, okay. Now in some ways it was awesome, it was awesome. I always had someone to play with and my grandparents loved to spoil you and feed you, so that was nice. But on the other hand, it was so hard because they weren't just dropping in and visiting, they were living with us. Things had to change permanently. Watching my TV shows on our one TV, not gonna happen. My bathroom routine totally changed. And when my grandparents fell asleep, the whole house was on lockdown. We all had to be quiet. Having extended family move in brought both a new intimacy and a new challenge to my life. In the same way, when the spirit moves in, you should expect your house to be rocked. Because it's not your grandparents moving into your heart, it's the creator of the universe. For example, many of you here, right, you're you're, you're renting your apartments or you just bought a house or whatever. What happens when you first move into this brand new place when you take ownership of this new home? You start to put your lamp here. You start to paint the wall in the color that you like. You start designing it in a way that fits you. What's happening to the house? It's beginning to take on your character. In the same way, when God moves in, our lives will begin to take on his character. Verse 11... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Who dwells in you now, when Paul talks about life to our mortal bodies, it means our physical bodies and now now it doesn 't mean that all of a sudden like we stop dying or we stop aging or we stop picking up diseases, but this is a promise here that just as the spirit resurrected Jesus, we too will one day be resurrected from the dead in a res- and be in a resurrected world. but in addition to this, this life that comes from the spirit is not just outward. But it's also inward. It's the new birth. Just like how unrighteousness brought death. It made our hearts hard. Dead things can't perceive. Dead things cannot move. Righteousness wakes us up spiritually to God. Righteousness declares that victory is inevitable in our lives. In the life to come. In the life right now. Because that same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the very same power and presence that is rewriting your story. Story right now. Do you think your struggles with your sin, your hard marriage, your illness, your anxiety, your sadness is stronger than the Holy Spirit? It's not. The Spirit of God that is within you is renewing you. Church, do you see yourself confessing Christ and conforming into Christ to see the Spirit's transformation? In your life is your assurance that there is no condemnation on your life. You know, in John chapter eight, there's a story of a woman caught in adultery, and she's put before Jesus, and the religious leaders, they are all so giddy and excited because we have Jesus trapped. Because the word of God is clear. In Deuteronomy 17, an adulterer is to be stoned to death. So if Jesus does not command for her stoning, he would be labeled a false teacher. That's a win. But if he chooses to stone her, he stops becoming popular and people stop following him. That's a win as well too. So win-win for them no matter what. Jesus knows this. So he says to the crowds, those without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, people walk away until there's only two people left Jesus and this woman. And right in front of this woman is the only person who has the authority to stone her. And Jesus says to her, Who's here to condemn you? And she says, No one is here. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Notice the order of those words. It's not first clean up your life and then be forgiven. Jesus says, you are forgiven, now live differently. Do you see grace is greater than condemnation? You guys hear that? Friends, some of you here today there is a lot weighing on your hearts here. That there's so much, about, so much guilt about falling short as a husband, as a wife, as a friend, as a parent, as a girlfriend, as a boyfriend, as a co-worker, as a pastor. That you're doing things that no one knows about and is giving you so much guilt. That you were on the, inter- the internet last night it gives you so much guilt. What you did at work or what you did with that money or what you did in that relationship. And you're feeling so condemned right now. I'm here to tell you again that in Christ you are free. You are forgiven. You are whole. You are pardoned. You are dressed in the very righteousness of Christ. You are no longer condemned. And when Satan would try to sneak around and whisper to your heart, you can't overcome, you don't measure up, you don't deserve God's love, you shouldn't be here worshiping today, you'll never make a difference for his kingdom. It's in those moments you pick up the greatest book ever written, go to the greatest chapter, to the greatest letter, to the greatest verse, and you proclaim there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Satan, step off and back off. I'm already spoken for, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can be said of me, no charge brought against me, that Jesus hasn't taken to the cross. Amen.